Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. As Christians, it's so important for us to have an eternal perspective. In Luke 16 and 17, Jesus teaches us where we are going, what it's going to be like, and how to keep the consciousness of eternity in our hearts and our minds. Cheryl's message titled, Living with an Eternal Perspective. So, if only I had known when I was invited to Hungary to Camp Chilliberts right after the wall of communism had come down to share with the women, if only I had known what the weather would have been like and the accommodations that I would be staying in, I would have packed totally differently. Now, as it was, we were taking our four children and a friend, and Brian and I, and we were going to Chilliberts in Pesha, Budapest, in Hungary. And we were told it's going to be so, so hot, and there's a pool, and you've got kids. So hearing this news, I packed shorts, and I threw in a sweater for each child for good measure. That was it. Good measure. I was told, you know, that we were going to have rooms, you know, um, there was one place that was like a hotel, a hotel with no bathrooms in the rooms. So they had given us a concrete bungalow. This was an ex-communist camp. They didn't tell me to bring bedding. They didn't tell me that I'd need towels. They didn't tell me. So we got there and what we had was bare mattresses and we had children's sized beds They didn't tell me that the weather would be in the 40s. And it was, it was freezing cold. I was even borrowing my 12-year-old's clothes because I was so cold. I was using a blow dryer, a little travel dryer to heat my children up from the cold because we were in this concrete bungalow with no heating, no insulation. We had a corrugated roof over our heads and this, it was freezing. It was like a uh, cold storage. And so at one point when I'm heating up my children with the little blow dryer and I've got it plugged in and all the electricity is on the outside of the wall, I blew a fuse. All the lights went out. We were in pitch dark. It was, it was, you had to laugh. Well, then, you know, remember I've got a, well, let me tell you, I have a four-year-old, I have a six-year-old, I have a 12-year-old and I have a 14-year-old and her friend. And they're serving us chicken foot soup and Hungarian bread. And some of it had mold on it because this is an ex-communist camp. They didn't have the supplies coming in yet because they were just adjusting from communism to freedom. And there we were. And our ki- my kids were looking at me like, I'm hungry, mom. Feed me. And I didn't bring any snacks. Ugh, 
the Lord is good because our high school pastor brought a whole suitcase of snacks because he was prepared. Somehow he knew dealing with teenagers, he'd need food, but he sold it to Brian. (laughs) But if I had known the conditions, I would have packed warm clothing, sweaters, coats, especially raincoats and umbrellas. I would have taken bedding. I would have brought towels and I would have packed a ton of snacks. For most of us, looking back on our life, if we knew then what we know now, aren't there so many things you would have done differently? I was telling someone just this morning, if I had known how quickly my children would age and grow, I would have gotten them in a bear hug and it would have lasted for hours. You know, as it is, I have this thing called the grandma hug where I open up my arms really wide and the kids come into me and I count 15 and then I let them go. And oh, I count one, one and a quarter, one and a half, one and three quarters, one and seven eighths, one and nine tenths, one and 11 twelfths, two. They're like, Grandma, I'm like, just a little bit more. Because now I know Now I know, oh, I would have done things so differently. I'll tell you what, I wouldn't have stressed the little things, like clean rooms. Oh, you know, your room is so dirty. What's wrong with you? You need to clean this room. I wouldn't have stressed mud pies. I knew there was a word for that. You know, when they bring them in, I wouldn't have stressed over these things. I wouldn't have stressed so much about their future and how they would turn out because they all turned out really, really well. I'm totally impressed. I would have prayed much more and entrusted much more and just simply enjoyed the journey so much more. You're on your way to an eternal destiny to heaven. But I want to know, are you prepared for the weather, the conditions, and the accommodations? Have you packed your bags for the ultimate journey the ultimate future. Now, Jesus has given us a heads up on how to prepare for the inevitable place we are going. He has informed us about earth's future through his word. In 2 Peter 3.11, Peter says this, therefore, since all these things that you see will be dissolved, everything in the earth, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? How are we to live Since this earth is not our future and our future home is in heaven and it's eternal. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastics, he has put eternity in our hearts so we cannot be content with the things of earth. Already when we accept Jesus, we have entered into eternity, but it is now time to pack and prepare for the future. And it begins with an eternal perspective. Simply, we need to know where we're going, what it's going to be like, and keep that consciousness of eternity in our hearts and our mind. And when we take on this eternal perspective, this is not the end. Earth is not the end. It's just the preparatory place. It's just the boot camp for where we're going. It changes 
our perspective about everything. And it changes the way we deal with the substances of earth. It changes the way we deal with money and resources that are put into our, our keeping. It changes our perspective on righteousness. It changes our perspective on how we treat and look at other people. It changes our perspective on offenses and sin. It changes our perspective on the divine work of God in our lives and the times we live in. In Luke 16 and 17, Jesus uses the lens of eternity to tell us how we are to live now. So first of all, it's important to realize that heaven is on our doorstep. You know, my children grew so fast. My life is going so fast. I'll tell you the truth. We had some friends that loaned us um, their car to drive uh, to a speaking engagement. And I, I was looking out the window and all of a sudden the scenery started going really, really fast. And I looked over at the speedometer and Brian was going 110 miles an hour. Now, Brian goes slow. He moves slow. He talks slow, thinks slow. He does slow really well. And I said, Brian, and he looked down and he was like, slowly, oh my. And he didn't realize how fast he was going because he was just, you know, it was a long stretch. And man, we made record time in getting where we needed to go. But we don't realize how fast time is going past. And here's a statistic for you. And the statistic is that 100% of all people will die. But very few people live with the consciousness of life after life. What happens after this life? People spend their money, time, energy on trying to get immediate gratification, on hoarding and holding on to their positions and their possessions. But few people consider the earthly consequences of their actions. Jesus points us to the eternal perspective in Luke chapter 16. Already in Luke chapter 12, verses 31 through 34, he has told us that we need to prepare for heaven. He says this, but seek the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have. Give alms, provide yourselves money bags, which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, Jesus tells a parable about an unjust steward to point believers in the direction of how they are to regard money possessions, positions. In Luke 16, verses 1 through 13, Jesus uses this parable to help us realize that what we have, even our own lives, our jobs, our family, our homes, are an entrustment from God. And that we are to use what we've been entrusted with for our future in heaven. We are to invest these things now and invest in these things for our future in heaven. We are to be faithful to God in what he has entrusted us. 
And we are not to become a servant to money, but to use money to serve the Lord. I've been reading through Ezekiel, and I've noticed something, that God always calls David his servant David. He never says, hey, King David. He always says, David, my servant, because David realized that the kingdom, that the kingship were in entrustment by God to serve God. They weren't an end in itself. Now I'm king. I can indulge. I can do what I want. No, it was a venue through which to serve the Lord. So in this parable, Jesus tells us about a steward who had not been upright in his dealings for his master. And the master finds out about how dishonest the steward has been, and he gives the steward a two-week notice. You know, you're going to be fired in a few weeks, and I want you to give an account with what you've done with all the things that were entrusted to you. Well, the servant thinks, oh my goodness, I don't want to beg, and I'm too old and, you know, to dig ditches. So I know what I'll do. I'll ingratiate myself with my master's debtors so that when I get fired, my master's debtors will owe me something. They will maybe employ me or they'll help me out. So he begins to call the master's debtors one by one and to reduce their debts. To one, he says, you owe 100, write 80. I'm reducing your bill. To another, he says, you owe 100, reduce it to 50. And in this way, he begins to ingratiate using the master's entrustment, using that money for his future welfare. Now, the master commends the servant on his shrewdness, not on his dishonesty, but his shrewdness, because he's used his opportunity. He's used what has been entrusted to him for his future. So Jesus tells us, that it is wise to think about the future. An eternal perspective should affect our regard for money and possessions. In verse nine, Jesus tells us, make friends of unrighteous mammon so that when you die, they will usher you into an everlasting inhabitation. Use what you have now to furnish your home in heaven. Use the position. Use the circumstances. Use the money to invest in heaven. We can use it now for the glory of God and the kingdom of God. I was reading this passage about six years ago. And I said, okay, okay, you know, use what I have. I've got it, Lord, use what I have for your glory. Well, I got stuck in an ice storm in Eugene, Oregon. The airport was closed down. I wasn't quite sure how I was going to get out of there, but I was praying. I talked to Nicole Williams, who was trying to help me with a flight out. And she said, if you can just get to Portland, if you could just get to Portland. I said to her, I said, the... The roads are iced over. I kept calling um, transit services and everything was shut down, everything. But about one o'clock in the morning, the Lord spoke to me and said, get up, Google it, and I'll provide. I got up, I Googled it. I got this man with a heavy accent. I can get you to Portland. I will pick you up at seven o'clock. Be ready. 
I said, okay. I had no idea who was taking me. So this man drives up in this family van, but it's got a fifth wheel. And he begins to drive us. There were two students with me to Portland to get a flight out. And you know, as we're driving, he says to me, what are you doing in Portland? And I said, well, I'm you know, meeting with some editors for a book I'm writing on faith in God uh, because I'm a believer in God and in his son, Jesus, who died for me. He says, oh, does that make you a praying woman? I said, it does indeed. He says, good, pray for me. And he says, I have a praying woman. She lives next door to me. She prays for me all the time. And I said, that's great. So he begins to tell me of the impact of this praying woman on his life and his wife's life. And he says, I'm a Turk. I've been raised a Muslim. But this praying woman, I've noticed something. God, God himself answers her prayers. So every time I have a trip like this with black ice, I call the praying woman and I say, pray for me. And so he's telling me all about this praying woman. As we're driving to Portland, I see all these cars on the side of the road that have hit black ice and spun out. But there we're, we're going on. And he's telling me about the praying woman. And that's why we're going to go to Portland, because we've got the praying woman. And you're praying too. That's two praying women. <laughs> then he calls, the praying, he calls his wife. Guess what I've got in my car? I've got another praying woman. Then he calls the praying woman. Guess what? I've got another one like you in the back seat. She's a praying woman. So as we're going, the Lord begins to remind me of the scripture I read that morning. Use unrighteous mammon. And the Lord said, I want you to give him a really big tip. I'm like, Lord, it's my money. I was going to like buy my grandson like, like the present. The Lord said, I want you to use unrighteous mammon. For the glory of God and for this man. So as I, you know, we went to a market to use the restroom and I'm pulling cash out of the ATM and the Lord speaks to me how much to pull out. So this man gets me to the airport and I pull out the money and I said, this is for you. And he looks at me and then I pulled out some more money and I said, and this is for your wife. And you tell her the praying woman says, thank you for the ride to Portland that God brought you and God got us here safely. And he looked at me and tears got on his eyes and he says, Jesus bless you, Jesus bless you. And you could see the dawning revelation in his eyes as he said the name Jesus. And he kept saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus bless you. And he was saying it so loud that people in the airport are turning around and looking at him. And I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> then he's picking up my luggage. He's carrying it in. Jesus, Jesus. And he won't stop saying the name of Jesus. And the Lord just brought it home. Cheryl, use this now and invest. Give a little extra tip. When you, when you eat and say, well, Jesus has been so good to me. Thank you for your service. We can use unrighteous mammon today for the glory of God. We need to view our possessions and our position as an entrustment rather than our own. We need to see the things that we have as being put into our care and be faithful to God in regards 
to money and friends and children and jobs and houses and be good stewards and seek to use them for God's glory. Money is not to drive, motivate us, but to be used for God's purposes because no servant can serve two masters. In verse 13, Jesus tells us that we will hate the one and love the other. We cannot love God and mammon. But if we love God, mammon becomes a servant for God's glory. But what does an eternal perspective toward righteousness looks like? In Luke 16, verses through 18, it begins with a right value system. Now, we're told that the Pharisees were lovers of money, and they were very upset by the parable Jesus just told. But Jesus looked at him and said, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. You see, we need to have our hearts be so honest before God. And we need to esteem what God esteems and not justify ourselves before men. You know, we can get by with a lot before men. It's easy to deceive men. You know, you can be fighting with your husband and somebody will look, look at Cheryl, just encouraging Brian. Oh yeah, I'm encouraging him all right. You know, people don't always know what's going on and we can be deceived and we can deceive others, but God knows the heart. Job looked very righteous compared to those friends that came to comfort him. And they're accusing him and Job's like, "Uh uh-uh, you might've done that, but I didn't do that. And Job kept asserting his righteousness, asserting his righteousness because compared to those men, he was righteous. But what happened in Job 38, the presence of the Lord came down. And in the Lord's presence, nobody is righteous. And Job, all of a sudden, instead of comparing himself to other men and justifying himself before men, he was in the presence of a living God and there was no justification. Jesus tells us that what is highly esteemed before men is an abomination in the sight of God. And I think of those things like might makes right or popularity or worldly riches that are esteemed by men. But God esteems things like sacrifice and love and missionaries who give up all their bank accounts to just serve Jesus. Years ago, we had a relative call us up and she was very, very upset because a woman that she worked with who was highly educated, who was making lots and lots of money, felt called to go to the mission field. And she was selling everything to go on the mission field. And this relative was saying, stop her, stop her. Tell her she can make more money and be more effective here and just tithe just 10% to those mission causes. But this woman, she wants to give up everything, her career, go to a place where her education doesn't count just to tell Muslims about Jesus. Will you tell her no? And we're like, she wants to do what? That is so cool. That is so precious. And she's like, yo, what's going on with you people? Because what men esteem is an abomination to God. But giving up everything to tell people about Jesus. oh, Oh, that means so much. And when we get to heaven and we see the tables turned, 
as we will in this parable we're just about to study too, you will see the glory of esteeming what God esteems. Now, Jesus is going to show us that the law cannot justify. You see, they had the law and the prophets and they were up to John the Baptist. But we see through the law and the prophets, Israel had gotten so off. But Jesus said, now the kingdom of God has come and men are pressing into it, not by adherence to the law, but through Jesus. And yet the law has not lost one iota of its value because Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill it. You see, because the law is still in full force, we need Jesus. Jesus used a parable about an unjust steward to help us realize that everything we have is an entrustment from God and that we have the opportunity to use it now for His glory. As we keep an eternal perspective, we won't become servants to money and possessions, but rather use them to serve the Lord, spread the gospel, and expand His kingdom. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll learn how to cultivate an eternal perspective as we continue our Jesus Magnified study in the Gospel of Luke with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.